A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello, hi, and welcome. I am your host, Emigan Awardner, and in my nearly 20-year career as a beauty and health writer, I have interviewed a lot of people, supermodels, entrepreneurs, authors, celebrities, and doctors, and many of these conversations had a real impact on me, and I'd come away feeling inspired, excited, informed, and really empowered, and at the back of my mind, I'd always think, I wish I could just publish the tape so people could really feel that conversation. Well, on this podcast, you get to feel the conversation. I talk with experts, guests, and a few friends who I hope will inspire, inform, and empower you, and maybe also challenge you, whether you're looking for self-help, self-improvement, beauty advice, health insights, business know-how, or just some good old-fashioned life advice and a bit of a laugh. It's all here. Welcome to the show. What can we learn from a conversation with a brain surgeon? Well, we're about to find out, but the clue is a lot. That's the short answer. When Dr. Rahul Jandial, who is a dual trained neurosurgeon and scientist, agreed to come on the podcast, I realised there was so much I wanted to ask him. And during his recent whistle stop tour of London, I was able to sit down with him and get his perspective. And let's face it, this is a perspective that's so unique. He's someone who works with and in the human brain. And I've never been able to have a conversation with someone with that kind of experience or perspective before. And I really wanted to find out and understand if there is a better way to live. What are the life lessons we can learn from a brain surgeon? In this episode, we discussed how to boost memory, how to improve sleep, understand depression and anxiety, and how to train your brain. It's quite a fantastic thing, the brain. And honestly, the way that he describes it, the way that it works, the way that it functions is so mesmerizing. I also ask how much damage I may or may not have done to my own brain at rock concerts in my youth and find out why, I'm talking about headbanging there of course, and find out why our breath is so important for our brain and our bodies. All the links to Dr. Rahul Jandia will be in the show notes but for now here he is making his debut on the Emma Gunn Show. Dr. Rahul Jandial, thank you so much for being on the Emma Gunn Show. Pleasure's mine. (laughs) This is my first time speaking to a brain surgeon well i hope to uh live up to your expectations <laughs> live up to and exceed them all <laughs> um goodness me what you do for a living is quite extraordinary 
And we are going to cover a lot of turf in this conversation. But I wondered if you wouldn't mind, and it might seem like an odd place to start, but you describe it so beautifully. I wondered if you could talk about what the brain actually looks like. Because in your book, there's a lot of myth busting about misconceptions we have about the brain. And one of them is what it looks like. And the way that you describe it makes it sound actually quite magical. It is. It's beautiful. It's the most beautiful thing I've seen inside the human body. And the way I came to see it was accidental. I was destined or driven to be a heart surgeon once I went to medical school. I didn't always want to go to medical school, but once I got there, I knew I wasn't just going to write prescriptions. Mm -hmm. I knew I had to do something with my hands where there was ownership. You meet the patient. The patient is under anesthesia. patient comes out. If they're doing well, that's ownership. I loved it. It was Mm -hmm. like sculpting. That's the way I think of surgery. Mm -hmm. We use similar tools. And then the brain surgeons where I was training fired the one trainee they hired. It's a very elite group. And they said, do you want to join? And I said, well, I, I hadn't even seen a single brain surgery in my medical school. And that morning they made an incision from sideburn to sideburn over the top of the head. And the forehead skin and flap was reflected forward. And they made a few holes in the skull and lifted off the skull. And just then I knew I was in a sacred space And even then, you don't get to the brain. The brain is covered with this sheath. Mm. It's called dura mater. It looks like uh, parachute material. It's thin. It can be picked up. It can be stitched with a fine thread. So they picked it up with little tweezers and stabbed just the sheath. So they picked it up so the brain was separate from the brain underneath. And they sort of unzipped it. And under the bright lights of the operating room, it it was nothing like what I had thought it to be. It wasn't gray. It's not gray. It's opalescent. It's iridescent. And the little valleys and the ridges have these fine blue and red mesh of arteries. It looks like a Jackson Pollock painting. And I just thought to myself, this is like no other flesh inside us. Despite it getting 20% of the blood flow from your heart, four major arteries pump straight up into your neck, two in the front next to the jugular vein that we're familiar with, but two also in the back by your spine. That much flow to something that weighs three pounds, yet the flesh is white, Mm. an enigma. We still don't know why. But you could tell at that moment that this was an opportunity for me to study the most magical marble that one can work with. And it is a physical manipulation of the brain, how to swim around the valleys and creases, how to disrupt it as little as possible, remove the tumor and slither out without it feeling you. That is brain surgery. It's not just opening the skull. Mm. And, and, that, and that sort of hit upon something in my life that the, the material is something amazing. The stories were even more interesting. Mm. The way the patients were hurt, the pa- way the patients recovered, the different ways in the same areas would do different things. It wasn't a pump. It wasn't a joint. Mm. It wasn't tubing. It was no longer auto body or auto work and car car work as they say in the states and that was interesting to me because then i said okay look i get to work with my hands in, in the in the greatest material and then i get to understand myself through my patients mm-hmm. so 5000 skulls i have opened and 25000 people about i have shook hands with in clinics and i'm 47 years old i'm not a saint i'm not a healer i don't i'm not in it just to help people i am selfish in the way that my patients help me. I always tell them, this is a mutual thing. I am mm. benefiting 
from helping you. I am learning about myself. I'm learning about humanity. And I'm also shaping a sense of self and identity for myself. Mm -hmm. So we are partners and allies in this. And I will Mm -hmm. be with you uh, through unexpected challenges that can happen. So that's the way I look at it. It's not this linear thing like, oh, I wanted to be a medic my whole life. No, I I dropped out of college. I was a security guard. I don't like studying. I didn't like studying at that time. But the patient stories, the people stories, Mm -hmm. the, the ability to work in a building that has babies to adults to CEOs to drug addicts to crisis uh, to jail wards all in one building that is my office that is my Mm. my workspace if you will and then I get to work in a more (laughs) magical space inside the skull so that is the it's not a romantic view of my career and uh, the human brain it's it's really what it is Mm. it's well like I said it is extraordinary and as you said it has given you an understanding of humans, of us yeah. all, and of yourself. And on this podcast, I have talked many times about habits. And I thought that would be a really nice place to start. Because being, I guess, uh, physically close to the brain in the mm-hmm. way that you are, I mean, we will get on to how it looks different depending on what's going on. But in terms of habits, does the brain love routine? It has to. And there's, a re- there's an explanation for it. So I don't have all the answers mm-hmm. and I don't uh, diminish other people that try to explain the brain, the mind, behavior. I just have my perspective. Mm. And my perspective is also always explain it to me a little bit because then I can believe that you are in the space and have some understanding. So it has to have habits because as we just discussed... Mm. 20% of your blood flow goes to this organ. If it was fully on in all corridors, in all pathways, all the time, the need for food and nutrition would be so high we wouldn't have survived. So it, it is efficient. It's, we use 100% of our brain, mm. but to do certain things, we use smaller percentages of it. Oh, so that's another myth about we only exactly. use 20% of our brain. I might only use 20% of my brain figuring out how to get on the tube and get to the next few stops. But I only use 2% of my brain to tie my shoelaces because it's become a habit and right. a behavior. But if I had to always think about my, how to tie my shoelaces, if I had to always think about how to get home, those it, it would be too much of an energy expenditure. Mm-hmm. So the brain, because it is such an energy hog, has to become efficient. Mm. Otherwise, we would have never survived with limited resources and food scarcity, as was the case for our ancestors. So a habit is really a rut. The habit is really that that forged path down a mountain slope for a skier. You tend to just run down that slope. It's easier. It's built. Mm. Uh, it's comfortable. It uses the least energy. Yeah. And so habits... Um, they are to your advantage most of the time. But sometimes we find ourselves in a habit that we want to break or that we have come to look inward and say, this isn't a habit I want to have. Mm. And it requires effort to no longer go down that rut. Mm -hmm. You actually will have to spend more brain energy, use more blood squirting from your heart to do something that is not a habit. Mm -hmm. Therefore, habits are hard to break. 
And so that's the duality in which I, I hope everybody looks at themselves is there is no habits are bad or habits are good. There's no emotional self, smart self. We are a blend of all of those things. Your emotions and thoughts are your allies. Sometimes you need to think. If you're being chased in an alley, you don't need to think. That is a resource to you as well. Mm. If the thermostat of being chased in an alley and those emotional responses are there when you're just late because you miss the exit on a freeway, that's too much. Mm. So your thoughts have to dial that down. Similarly, habits are an adaptation, yet we can steer and rein them in or redirect them and create new ones. And that is the challenge is one, the introspective nature of our of our lives to look at our interior lives and say, that habit I don't want anymore. So then it takes time and effort. There is no quick thing. There is no one step, mm. no one blueberry that's going to pop you out of the habit. But the fact that habits can be broken is real. Mm. And everybody has uh, what we call an activation energy. The hill to break the habit, depending on how deeply the habit is formed, depending on where you are in life, that's all individual. But I just want people to know habits are an efficient way for the brain to get things done. But sometimes the most efficient way is not necessarily your best self. So to that end, is anything possible? You're, you, you don't need to be defined by who you are today because you could be different tomorrow with with that effort mm-hmm. as you say yeah if you feel like you're being weighed down by a bad habit or something right. that's maybe holding you back is anything possible let me answer that in a philosophical sense based on biology mm-hmm. I, uh, and then get to it's a matter of degree and it's a matter of who you are in your own again interior life the same answer cannot apply to 8 billion people. The same answer actually cannot apply to me from a year ago or me when I was 15 or me when I'm hopefully going to be 55. We are we are different from our former selves. Mm. So I, I worry about packaging advice that is supposed to be universal. Mm-hmm. That said, is anything possible? So the liver has the cells that make up the liver are all like tiles. They're uniform. It's just tile work. The heart also has these cells and the bone cells. They all look like like structural components just neatly fit together, Lego blocks. Mm. Your brain is closer to 90 billion-ish, 90-ish billion, microscopic jellyfish, throbbing, floating. And then they're so tightly packed, but if you turn the microscope up and zoom in deeper... There are thousands of tentacles of these 90 billion cells. As they come next to each other, they don't touch. They spray chemicals like dopamine and serotonin. So think about, and it's all floating inside fluid inside your skull. Mm -hmm. That fluid you can only get to once you cut that sheet that I talked about. (laughs) So is anything, look at that system. Mm -hmm. How can you limit that? Mm -hmm. that? That is infinite. Think about the degree of, and those chemicals are spraying at each other. And if somebody takes Prozac or a selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, that's working at the chemical level. It's keeping more of that serotonin there in, in those, near, those, those almost kisses of all these tentacles. So the degree of complexity and plasticity is near infinite. Mm. That said, it has certain elements and patterns that we should know about if we want to harness that complexity. And, and those are 
are, are quite simply, there's a structure, there's flesh to the brain. They are the building blocks of the brain called neurons or brain cells. And then there's the electrochemistry. Mm. Uh, enough electricity, like electric eels have electricity. Well, each of these jellyfish spark electricity. And when they get to that junction, they spray chemicals on the other side, there's electricity. So when we think about possibilities, when you read uh, a blog, when somebody says, this is good for your brain, ask them to tell you in which dimension. Mm. Will it improve the thinking? It will improve the flesh? The neurons, where is it working? Is it working at the chemical level or electrical level? And so when you talk about is anything possible, um, each of those dimensions, different things are possible. And so when you talk about improving your life, I would encourage everybody to look at, okay, where, where does that change need to happen? Okay, so for example... Um, why do I, why, why is exercise good for the brain? Well, uh, that flesh needs to be irrigated. So now we're, right, now we're in plumbing and flesh and that anatom. So then you have an answer in your mind that says, mm-hmm. oh, wait, the same activities that keep my heart arteries open also keep my brain arteries open. That way all this flesh, all these jellyfish are supplied with, nu- with nutrients and oxygen. So in that way... Exercise actually preserves your flesh. And so when we get less young, um, keeping those arteries open will prevent small swaths of those of the brain from dying. Mm. They call those mini strokes. And a lot of old people have those. So that's an explanation. Mm-hmm. And then when I do that with my patients, then I can see in their eyes like, yeah, I should probably walk a little bit more. <laughs> now I get what this is about rather mm-hmm. than do this, do that. Do, it can't be so prescriptive. And so there are explanations underneath all of these. So anything is possible because when you look at that electrochemical potential, you see that the, sa- the brain looks the same for Captain Sully and who, <laughs> who performed under pressure or Einstein or Paul McCartney. So then how is the how is the outcome of their lives different? Mm-hmm. Then we get down to the electrochemical because mm-hmm. the flesh looks the same. So that's the way I, I want people to understand is when they, somebody says, so we're not manipulated because it's so complex that and everybody with a brain is now a brain expert that there are a lot of things out there that just aren't true. Mm-hmm. And the way to understand that is to have somebody explain it to you. Well, how is it good for my brain? Mm-hmm. So every article actually should have an explanation if they say it's good for your brain. Okay. Now, this is slightly left field, but as you're doing that good. description, I feel very, very guilty about something. All the head banging I did in the 90s. Yeah. Should uh, rock and roll, back? soccer, football. Guns and Roses. Guns Nirvana. and Roses. <laughs> Nirvana, wow. Yeah. Um, that, that changed the whole genre. I love... <laughs> I mean, um, if you listen to his lyrics, and of course... Um, this is, I'll take it further left field. There are a lot of artists that have uh, committed suicide in their 20s, and they call it a 27 club. Mm-hmm. And a recent rapper, I think Juice World, wrote about it, and uh, he died at 21, but he mentioned uh, the 27 club in his song. So there's this, I don't know, it's not good or bad, it's just something. And now, where are you going with this? Are you going to tell us a story about the anatomy? No because their brains look the same. Mm-hmm. Are you going to tell us the story about neurons? No, because the building blocks were about the same. And we'll get into stem cells and brain re- regeneration later. But deeper at the electrochemical level, for some reason, 
schizophrenia and severe mental health issues, severe depression and just schizophrenia, madness, tends to spike in the 20s. We don't, we don't know why, but that, there's something going on at the electrochemical level in these giant frontal lobes behind our forehead that leads to uh, great, the highest, uh, the, the time in which psychiatric diagnosis, severe ones are made when we were in medical school, this was taught to us is in late teens and early 20s. That also coincides with a spike in suicide rates. Also, some would argue a spike in creative abilities. Einstein was 27, many others were at 27. So there's a story there, mm. but there's also a potential explanation. I might be completely wrong, but the explanation makes it so I'm not just making stuff up and riffing. Yeah. So the headbanging is an interesting question. Um, it's not a rock and roll fairy tale is what you're saying. Yeah. That they all just happen to expire for the, whatever reason at 27. There is quite a bit of, there's a spike in psychiatric issues in early 20s. Mm-hmm. It, we are taught somebody starts dressing differently, doesn't find their way home, 22-year-old male, little bullets like that, so consider schizophrenia. It's th- it's that well known. It's I'm not talking about something mm-hmm. I figured out yesterday. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like... It's in medical books for half a century. Mm-hmm. So the headbanging is an interesting thing. We are surprisingly resilient with an occasional bop. <laughs> kid, I've, each of my well, I hope they're not listening. Each of my kids have fallen out of the bed. My wife and I argue which side, um, <laughs> which side was it when they were with me or with you? Or, and and I worked at children's hospitals for a long time, and I still do children's brain surgery around the world. That's my passion, uh, legacy, maybe. And people are surprisingly resilient with a knock, single knock. Mm -hmm. But if you, despite wearing a helmet, just every day decide you're going to hit the wall with your head 50 times a day for 10 years, as is in American football, it should be no surprise that those jellyfish and that delicate white flesh is going to be injured. Mm -hmm. But we misled people, we meaning sports, science, whatever. The whole thing that American football actually used to celebrate a hard hit to the head. Mm-hmm. And now they've outlawed that. And people say, well, I mean, what is this? It's CTE. Well, I just tell them, well, I, would you let your kids bang their knee, which is quite resilient, against a wall? Just bang your knee against the wall 50 times a day for the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. You would say, no, it's going to damage the knee. Mm-hmm. So why did we lose track that banging our head, um, concussions repeated? concussions mm-hmm. not a car accident not a i mean let me let me put a caveat there some there are some bad accidents that lead to uh tearing of vessels and we mm-hmm. take care of them but occasional fall occasional bump we're surprisingly resilient to that mm-hmm. but the constant knock even at a lower intensity um will physically wither the flesh of your brain and will change the electricity so now we have l- which layers are you injured by repeated concussions? And that's called, you know, CT or whatever mm-hmm. they're calling it now. But most people who rocked out, they, they don't have issues with that. It's in sports when they've, when they've had repeated concussions over years and years. But just going wild at a concert, that's just good living. Okay, good. I shall I shall graduate to toe tapping now, <laughs> and from rock and roll to drugs because which I feel which sure. feels like the perfect segue, um, but actually more specifically caffeine, mm. which is you know it's not really a rock and roll drug, um, <laughs> and I'm not projecting on you here, <laughs> but I do have a slight problem with caffeine, and 
should should what is the effect of caffeine on the brain? It's a stimulant. Mm-hmm. It's mildly addictive, and it's not bad for you. Um, tea. So these are the way to think about drugs is again an explanation. Where, I mean, where do we? I mean, what? What is caffeine? Caffeine is the ingredient from a bean mm-hmm. when it's manipulated. Mm-hmm. Tea is also from a plant. Coca leaves. I was in Bolivia and Peru, my son. We chewed coca leaves. Mm-hmm. It, co- they say coca is not cocaine. It doesn't get you high, but it, it does let you breathe easier and, and climb the mountain a little easier. Um, opium mm-hmm. is from a plant. It is. Uh, it alleviates pain mm-hmm. and suffering for people, some of my patients who are in hospice and at the end of their life. So these these chemicals are coming from plants. Mm. And so is green juice and other things that we, we equate with health. These chemicals uh, are actually in their native forms like that, not very addictive and not very damaging to mm-hmm. the body. When you turn them into you know, heroin mm-hmm. or you turn into cocaine or you synthesize crystal methamphetamine, which is a, was an epidemic or crack, then they're extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. So caffeine, uh, there are no studies that show that that is bad for us and some that show that it can help with reduce the incidence of prostate cancer and that sort of thing. The only time I've heard of people getting in trouble with caffeine is if they quickly stop, they get some headaches. Mm-hmm. There's an explanation for that. Or um, some people have heart arrhythmias, and if they drink too many Red Bulls or caffeines, like eight or nine, their arrhythmias can um, be accentuated, mm-hmm. So outside, of, which is a very rare thing. But why does caffeine withdrawal cause headache? That's an interesting thing right there. So caffeine not only gets your heart rate up a little bit, it is a stimulant. So at the electrochemical level, a few more chemicals or neurotransmitters are released. Mm-hmm. But it's also it also shrinks the blood vessels in the brain. So some people think migraines are from slightly loosened arteries in the brain that lead to throbbing. So some of the treatments for migraines and headaches is actually caffeine. Mm-hmm. So my son or one, a patient and people I've known that have had headaches, I said, so they take Advil or they take ibuprofen or mm-hmm. acetaminophen, which is Tylenol, and they also take a shot, an espresso shot. The combination of caffeine plus a pain reliever is an effective treatment, more effective than without the caffeine. Mm-hmm. So caffeine shrinks blood vessels. Caffeine is a stimulant and uh, it can be addictive, but... It has never destroyed lives. People will not steal or injure themselves for it. So it's not addictive in that way. That's my riff on caffeine. You haven't seen me near an ice latte. Triple espresso. (laughs) Or maybe you're worse when you don't have it, right? When you're waiting for the caffeine is when you're... I had had a DNA test and I am 100% that bitch who can metabolize it really well. So I I don't really, I don't seem to have a problem with caffeine. But that's uh, also in the, that's also in that song by uh, by Lizzo. So mm -hmm. that's good. And I like that. Yeah. I'm really pleased with what I just did there. Um, (laughs) But can we just talk about what migraines are actually? Mm -hmm. Because I suffer with migraines infrequently. But when I do, my favorite drug is one that combines caffeine, Mm -hmm. which I guess allows it to sort of synthesize and absorb and treat quicker I don't know if that's and right. shrinks the blood vessels yes but if someone's suffering if someone's listening to this and they think I suffer with migraines and every now and again I, what makes me worry about if my brain is healthy mm-hmm. what would your response be to that the uh, migraines have not been 
associated with any brain injury at the flesh level, at the cellular level. Mm -hmm. Um, Clearly, there's a headache, so something's going on at the electrochemical level because you feel pain. Mm -hmm. uh, Not associated with any cancers, not associated with any strokes. Um, They don't damage you or set you on a path to damage later, mm-hmm. they can just be incredibly disruptive when you feel them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the pain is not actually uh, surprisingly in your brain, even though it feels like it's in the center of your brain. It's on that lining. Remember I was telling you that has yeah. nerves. Strangely enough, during awake brain surgery, and we clearly the surgeon's awake, but the patients. <laughs> Patients awake as well. The joke there is the anesthesiologists aren't always awake in surgery. That's an inside <laughs> joke that maybe I shouldn't be telling, but everybody knows it. So the joke is pay, the anesthesiologist is asleep and the patient's half asleep. Because once they, once they get people under, they can kind of check out and go on their email. Because that's the thing. I, I read you uh, talk about some of your surgeries and they are knocked out while the skull is opened. And then, then they are woke, yeah. woken up so that you can communicate with them. Mm-hmm. Particularly the case with the the bilingual teacher Mm -hmm. was extraordinary. And well established. Forgive me. uh, I don't want people to think that I am am just bringing you knowledge that has Mm -hmm. been around for 50 years. Awake brain surgery was the way they figured Mm -hmm. out that this little undulating strip is the thing that controls the opposite arm. It was done like over 50 years ago. But nobody... And the the language, the story you're talking about... Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's well known in, in our world. It just hasn't been explained mm-hmm. and shared. But back to the migraines. When the person is awake, you can, you can touch the brain and they don't know their brain is being touched. So the brain actually does not uh, feel pain when you, when you touch it. Mm-hmm. The brain can only sense through, the, uh, through its tentacles that it sends out to your face called cranial nerves or the nerves on top of that that sheath mm. or the nerves right here on the side where your glasses sit, those muscles, the mm. temporalis muscles or the tension headaches in the back of your head where those muscles come up from your spine to grab the back of your skull. These are the locations and origin of pain. It's not actually, it feels like it's in the middle of your skull, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's the outside of your skull sending messages to your mind and brain saying, I'm, I'm feeling pain. So migraines are uh, a problem of nerves on the covering of the brain, on the skull, on the muscles, the scalp, and that sort of thing, um, as well as a light can be bothersome. So they're, mm-hmm. again, because the eyes are extensions of the brain that send information inward. So when I when I would say about migraines is there's no long-term uh, sequelae or, or damaging effects, but in the short term, they can be so disruptive. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, people, when they don't go to work or they don't go to school because they have terrible migraines, the people on the other side that have not had migraines. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. If you're dismissive about it, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yet I know people who are like, in a dark room for two days, agonizing. Mm. So I just think we have to be uh, more respectful of uh, people's struggles that aren't uh, immediately graspable by everyone. Mm -hmm. And pain is one of those components, Mm -hmm. not just migraines, uh, but mind pain that people who are depressed, Mm -hmm. uh, people who have anxiety, that, that mental health is the same as physical health, and I would say is actually more important than physical health because people who don't have mental health, they will never take care of their bodies. Mm. So if you're trying to motivate to some, somebody to be more active or lose weight or keep their heart arteries open by exercising, that's hard to do if your mind isn't in the right place because mm. right? it takes ambition and willpower. So I think everything begins with mental health um, for changing not only yourself, uh, but then also changing habits that will lead to a longer life and a better life. Well, to that end, talking about mental health, I was curious, and because of the way you've described the brain, I don't know whether this will be the case, but I, if someone is a smoker mm-hmm. and you look at their lungs, you'll, without knowing or speaking to them, you might say, they've been on 20 a day for however mm-hmm. long. If somebody is experiencing, c- can you... Could you crack open a skull? Great question. And tell if somebody has depression or anxiety or any kind of mental illness. No, so that that's, first of all, thank you. Oh. One, for the question, and two, for letting me uh, explain a little bit about the ways in which we should think about our brains and mind. Um, again, back to the, 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 the flesh. The anatomy is no different. Mm. Okay, so you open up thousands of skull. I've, I've opened up thousand skulls. The ones with, who have on their chart say they have depression. It doesn't look any different. It doesn't look any different to the naked eye. Mm. Then at the cellular level, the building block level, the, the grain of sand that is the thing that makes the sand sculpture, right? The cells, neurons. You turn up the microscope and it doesn't look any different. Where uh, mental health exists is in that immense complexity of electricity and chemistry Mm -hmm. that those, again, 90 billion microscopic jellyfish with 10,000 or more tentacles all tangled and aligned, spraying neurotransmitters at each other Mm -hmm. and spraying electricity. And and you say, okay, how do you know it's at that level? Well, I can prove it. That's why on a strange, not, not strange, but strange cases of lightning bolts and savants. Those are extreme examples. But more importantly, shock therapy to treat depression is basically zapping with electricity those 90 billion jellyfish. And people wake up after a few treatments without severe depression. I'm not saying that's for you or that you should do that, your opinions. I'm trying to establish a concept mm-hmm. that, 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 that the mind is off or disrupted at the electrical level, mm-hmm. okay? Then somebody else with depression goes and takes some pills, takes a few weeks to kick in, antidepressants. 
What, what, what is anti? What are what are antidepressants doing? Are they building the flesh? No. Are they building the the building blocks? No. Are they messing with the electricity? Yes, but not directly. What they're doing is they're leaving more serotonin in between those almost near touches. Mm-hmm. So, depression is an electrical and chemical imbalance. Mm-hmm. And that's why it can be treated by electrical and chemical manipulation, mm-hmm. such as shock therapy or antidepressant medicines. Mm-hmm. But it's not visible to the naked eye. Not at all. Um, one thing that uh, sometimes goes hand in hand with these uh, mental health issues is sleep. Mm. And you seem like a brilliant person to speak to about sleep, partly because I think we're all so disrupted. We, we no longer get up with the sun and go to, <laughs> go to bed with the moon Very because well, we have excellent. artificial light. Yeah, yeah, I know that's that's really where it's at. Um, I I put in a lot of sleepless days. Surgical training in the United States in the '90s, um, we routinely worked 120 hours a week. So that means go in for Monday morning at 4 a.m., come home Tuesday at 7 p.m., go in Wednesday at 4 a.m., come back Wednesday night at 7 or 8. Go in Thursday at 4 a.m., mm-hmm. come back Friday at 7 p.m. That's a five-day work week. And so I like to say that, I like to tell people that, not because I'm the only one that endured it. My colleagues were doing it. Other people were doing it. So mm-hmm. I'm not saying that in a way to make people say, oh, he's got willpower. No, that, that was just the training. So we have a large group of people mm-hmm. <laughs> beyond sleep-deprived. Um, we can talk to truckers back then mm-hmm. in the States. And what were the lessons there? Well, we know that graveyard shifts and disrupted sleep and you have more issues with heart disease. And then what's the connect there? It's a metabolic thing that uh, we are we are in tune with the Earth's rotation as our animals and plants. Mm. And it's not the it's not melatonin, the single hormone for sleep. I mean, are we really that now that you've seen the complexity explained mm-hmm. from my point of view, can one pill really address all of those structural neuronal electrochemical things no there's in between between our eyes where they converge nobel prize was given for this just a few years ago small cluster of primitive ancient cells that are just there to let us know when the rotation is day and night and from there they change things in our brain at the electrochemical level at the genetic level Mm -hmm. genes turning on and off daily and nightly not just in our brain, in our body. Mm-hmm. That's what leads to heart disease and other issues. Because how do you connect sleep deprivation with heart disease? Mm-hmm. Because the heart is also under the dominion of the brain. And the brain is saying, it's nighttime, daytime, nighttime, sunrise, sunset. And so we learned a few things. Um, interrupted sleep was worse than, no, it was worse than uh, shorter sleep. Mm-hmm. So on the, on the night, if there was a chance to sleep for just an hour and a half, let's say it's like 2.30 to 3.30. Skip it. Skip it. You're mm-hmm. going to be more foggy the next day. I don't know the biological basis of that, but I can bring you 20 surgeons out and tell you the same thing. Mm-hmm. So that was like a, a you know a cult insider thing, like don't even bother because you got work to do the next day. Mm-hmm. But that translates to my kids. Like, can you please just leave the phone, you know, on airplane mode or the younger ones? Can you just put outside? Mm-hmm. The minute you get up and you leave your room, grab it, check it in the car. But can you not have it on your nightstand? Because mm-hmm. because that interrupted sleep won't let you get into those deeper sleep cycles. That is, that's not rest. That is the housekeeping the brain does while it sleeps. The electricity is on fire when when you're sleeping. It's not coma. 
Mm. It's just doing something else. The subconscious is having its time. All the stimulation from the day before is being processed. Should I really be holding on to the the billions of things my eyes have seen, the smells I've had? Because so, you take in everything. The brain of course. sees everything. And sleep says which things should be held on to. Otherwise, you'd be too jam-packed. So sleep is an active process. Mm. So when you're tired the next day, it's not that you didn't get rest. It's that you didn't really clear out the gunk from the day before. So that's the concept behind sleep. Interrupted sleep to me is worse than shorter sleep. And if you struggle falling asleep, it's because your brain's not ready to have that laptop. Listen, if you can drink, have a triple espresso, have your laptop on bright, binge, shut it down, fall asleep, good for you. Mm. But I'm talking about people who have who struggle to sleep, sleep well. The brain needs a few hours of dampened light mm. to initiate um, the transition into sleep. And what about things like binaural beats? Because if I can't sleep, that's what I put on. I put on my, is it theta waves? Whatever works for you. <laughs> so there's white noise, there's music. Uh, all, so your, your devices can become your allies. Mm. Um, I, we, the first thing I do is I just have dimmers all around the house. My kids are always like, Dad, it is so dark. It's only 8 o'clock. And it's not dark. It's just... I'm bringing it down to ambient because I'm trying to tell myself. I think it looks cooler too. The furniture and the styling is better too with a little dimmer light. But they are, yeah, that is our that is a thing where they're always like, "It's eight o'clock, Dad. Why is it? Why are you turning down the lights? Not off, but I just start hitting the dimmers, and you can even preset them if you have the the interest or the luxury to do that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah again. So the phone, the device can be your ally, mm. and some people are even looking at. Patterns of posting on social media to detect people who are suicidal or thinking negative thoughts in their way they tweet and the way they text and the way they respond and the things they search. I don't want I don't want anybody knowing what I'm doing on my phone. I think there's, that's an invasion of privacy, but it has that potential mm. if people want to use it for creative purposes and for uh, helping each other purposes. And so the device is not an automatic enemy. It just needs to be handled. Well, you know, Netflix contacted somebody who watched The Christmas Prince 18 times in a row and said, are you okay? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, which I think is amazing. I was worried they were going to get in touch And once they found out if they were okay, they were like, and what made you watch? Because <laughs> if we could figure that out, then we can have other people binge watch. But um, if someone's listening to this and they think, actually, I am really guilty, as I am, of waking up usually between 2 and 3 in the morning and checking my phone because I am addicted to it. Mm-hmm. Um, should... As a brain surgeon, it's not hurting you. Me? Okay. And if you're doing, if, if if you're crushing it the next day, you're doing well, or you know, there's somebody you're you wanting to hear from, an opportunity you're waiting for, then it's exciting and it wakes you up. That's fine. If it's a general habit, and you can pull it off, that's fine too. These aren't hard and fast rules. It, these mm-hmm. are for people who struggle to sleep. If some people get up in the middle of the night and go to the bathroom every night, and they fall back asleep and they're fine. Fine. Well, I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not here to tell people what to do. I'm here just to explain how it works. Mm -hmm. So if you are struggling with that, then there in the explanation, you can find real strategies and maneuvers, a Mm -hmm. toolkit to improving yourself. Now, I also want to talk about we're in the city of London. I'm looking out the window. I'm in love with London. I know. I can see a black cab, which brings me nicely on to sat-nav. But also, you know that London cabbies do this thing Mm -hmm. called the knowledge and so Amazing. a part of their brain is under MRI scanning, apparently. You're the brain surgeon, mm-hmm. not me. Larger. And there, they have grown flesh a little yes. bit. 
So now, yes. we're, now the explanation isn't at that level. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to see that if you crack the skull or only on, on MRI? Well, that's a very that's an interesting question. So you can measure it on MRI, but brain volume doesn't always equate with brain function. Okay. Um, we have to keep that in mind because you could have a perfect looking brain, but at the electrochemical level, you mm-hmm. could be disrupted. Okay. But when we crack the skull open, um, that feels coarse, but when it's more ice fishing, it's a delicate creating of a small opening the size of a cookie. You want to find the smallest window to getting to where you want to get. Mm-hmm. So we would, we would rarely crack that much open. So Sorry, it's it so wouldn't funny. be, yeah. It, it's like it I'm shocking an oyster, I apologize. <laughs> yeah, well, it, well, the contents might look similar, <laughs> at least in color. Um, but no, it's not something I could detect. Okay. And it's, it's, it's very subtle, but it speaks to something. Uh, it also speaks to the fact that when patients get dementia, Alzheimer's being the most common type, it tends to happen as we get older, as we get less young. And many of us, well, many of our parents uh, are aging, surviving as heart disease has been um, not eradicated, but handled quite well. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of 70-year-olds, 80-year-olds, and 90-year-olds. And they, the brain never was challenged to to make it that far because either there were people were eaten by lions in their twenties and thirties, or working conditions were so difficult, and lifespan was forties mm-hmm. and fifties. And then when heart disease was there, it was 70, 65, 68, 74. But now, as we continue to tackle those diseases, and we're getting to seventies, eighties, nineties, you are going to see uh, degeneration of the brain at all of those levels: mm-hmm. flesh, neuron and electrochemistry. So dementia is actually a problem of all of those things. In that area, the temporal lobes, so now anatomically it's by where the stem of your glasses would be. Mm -hmm. If you went in two centimeters, there's a lobe there. And it's got something called the hippocampus. It's shaped like a seahorse. Emotion and memory tend to be there. So as that withers at the flesh level, at the cellular level, and gets, you know, glitches out at the electrochemical level, that's that's Alzheimer's. There will be no simple fix for that. Mm. The pills in the big pharma industry in America are failing miserably. Um, and because of the complexity, mm. it's not just opening an artery, right? That you can tackle scientifically. And so what they find is, what what we find is, people who have put more into that cognitive piggy bank and all of those dimensions, they tend to do better when they get in their 70s and 80s. Uh, so what the, the, the knowledge uh, oh, p- the knowledge is a building of memory, is mm. education, is a life actively lived. The, the cognitive piggy bank is sort of you have built up the cells and the tissue and the electrochemistry there in the, in the memory area. And so those people, even when they do get Alzheimer's, they are still more capable with, with the disease. I read... And it wasn't a paper, but I read that because we are so addicted to our phones and we take pictures of everything, that um, the brain's ability to make memories in the way that it maybe did 30 years ago is diminishing. Is that something that you would back up? I don't know. I haven't read about it. I haven't thought about it. But um, interestingly, on on the other way, is the more we outsource to the phone, Mm. that part of the brain we rely less on um 
and so what I do with my kids is say we don't, we try not to use the route map. I want to see them develop their sense of spatial navigation. Mm. That's also in the same area. That's why patients with Alzheimer's get lost. Mm. Memory, spatial navigation, and emotion is there. Um, so. Does that mean we are setting ourselves up for some demise? No, I think we are still memorizing and learning mm-hmm. many other things. I don't want to memorize phone numbers. I'm so thankful <laughs> to not have to do that and all the other things. So the phone is my ally. But be honest. Mm-hmm. Do you know your phone number from the house that you lived in when you were a kid? Yeah, that one yeah. stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And interestingly, when patients do get injury it's only those old deeply entrenched memories they have on to so sometimes there was a famous patient who struggled after surgery he kept going back to the original house i mean he could find his way home but it was the original home interesting yeah yeah so that's that i do remember that phone number but it's also because i use it a lot now i just look at a picture and a name and i press click i don't even see the actual number being called it just says wife or son mom now, I know that we're drawing uh, rapidly towards the end of our time together, so there are a couple of things I wanted to get from you. If so let's do rapid fire. Let's do rapid fire. Well, it's basically my most excellent listeners, if you could give them any advice, whether it's three top tips or something mm. about how to look after their brain health or just live a... I don't know, I think if you look after your brain, you probably are mm. going to live a better life. We are our brains, yeah. Yeah, what would, what would your advice be? Um... So I'll do rapid fire five things, and all of them are easy to do and high yield. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to add work to anybody's <laughs> life. Please don't add work to mine. I, I want to choose the work I want to do. One would be um, consider skipping breakfast. The brain is a hybrid vehicle when you don't eat for 16 hours. With, first of all, with much respect to the world who struggles to find food and food mm-hmm. hunger and quality food. That said, if you... If you skip eating water, but coffee's fine, for 16 hours, you run out of glucose. Mm-hmm. You're a coffee addict, so I had to throw that in there. Yeah, but you run out of glucose, and then you don't die. Oh, your liver turns fat into ketones. So the brain's a hybrid vehicle. For mental clarity, it's been shown that switching between glucose and ketones as a fuel for your brain is one way to do it. So it's not about what you eat. Mm-hmm. It's about the cadence of eating. Mm-hmm. So going without breakfast, having a meal at 2 o'clock and having the dinner before, that'll get you to 16, 17 hours easy. So try that a couple of times mm-hmm. a week. And, and if you want to lose weight, just eat a lot less. This is not about weight loss. Uh, so that's my tip about the, the brain's a hybrid vehicle and why periods of food scarcity and 16, 17 hour stretches a couple of times a week would help. However that fits in, skipping mm-hmm. breakfast is the easiest way. So mm-hmm. that's what I do. Number two is deep breathing. It is your built-in Valium. I don't know what mindfulness is. I don't know what's going on in your mind or their mind. Our interior lives are private and sometimes even a mystery to ourselves. Mm-hmm. But deep breathing is a way to have the nerves that descend from the brain work in uh, in a dual direction. They are bilateral. They are uh, two-lane roads. And so it's been shown, and there are, in my book there's a, actually a surgical study where they measured real electricity, not just people's opinions. Mm. So deep breathing with three seconds in, hold for three seconds and three seconds out. That That is a resource to you. That is your built-in value. Is that as effective? Is that no? But, but uh, this is the toolkit with which you can try to tackle uh, self-improvement mm-hmm. uh, and, and, it, and it's free it's not no, no, there's nothing to sell these these are these are things that are available to ourselves 
Um, the other thing I would say is change the food you eat. I'm not trying to punish anybody, but there is no treatment for dementia. But there is the prevention of dementia is well established. Decades of studies, thousands of people across countries. And it's the, called the MIND diet, which is really a, a you know parallel to the cardiac diet. It's a Mediterranean diet. So if when you do choose to eat, so there's the cadence of eating, and then there's what you are ingesting. It's occasional. It's not the indulgence, a burger, a cake. You go in somebody's house for a party. This is not a time. I mean, you know, that's not the time uh, to be so strict that you're disrupting your social interaction. I, I don't believe in that. Mm-hmm. But it's in the, in the daily routines, what you put in should be mostly plants, mm-hmm. beans, occasional fatty fish, some red wine. That doesn't sound like a difficult diet. And that diet, flavonoids are these little things in the plants, the antioxidants. Fatty fish has omega-3s that actually wrap the tentacles in your brain. So there's an explanation to each one of those. Mm. Uh, Red wine is actually, you know, juice from a a plant. And so that kind of living, uh, a coffee, is that kind of living is right in front of us Mm. and proven. Mm. And, And we don't have to believe in a cult or a guru or somebody with a microphone um, standing in front of you saying this or that Um, yoga and meditation is free it's available to everyone the elitism with the self-help industry bothers me Mm -hmm. and actually they 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 exploit the complexity of the brain our lack of understanding of the brain and i would say and they cannot explain why their self-help tips really work to sell things to us, and yeah, because new clothes. yeah, it's it's just it's just uh, it's the ultimate scam. We are being lied to about ourselves, mm. our brains and minds, the cadence of eating, what you're eating, um, deep breathing, meditated deep breathing. Uh, that's there are apps for that. How you set that cadence, so that works, mm-hmm. and they, all these things have proof. Um, exercising a little bit. So what I would say is I, I, I live in the land of Brad Pitt and, uh, and Bradley Cooper, who, which is fantastic, but that's... I'm going to need I know, you go, you're going to... You're like, you, I want to do a live interview. <laughs> I don't know them, but they're, they're there. And, and, but those, those beach bodies is not really what you need to get to because mm-hmm. that is an obstacle for people who think, um, how will I get there? I'm, I'm just starting... The brain responds from doing just a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And the biggest yield is getting up, get, not sitting, but standing and walking. Mm-hmm. So if you can walk briskly for a half hour, a couple of times a week, you're getting 80% of the result for that. And the last tip I would say, the fifth thing is, is uh, uh, enjoy yourself if you can. Think a little bit. It's thinking flesh. Mm-hmm. If we wanted bigger biceps, we, we know what to do. If we want a healthier brain, it is, it is built and designed to think. And so thinking, learning, reading, taking a different route mm-hmm. home, challenging yourself a little bit, trying to learn a new language, you don't have to get good at it. Just just trying to do mm-hmm. new things as a habit a couple of times a week. Not all day because we have work to do. I think these are the simple things that are there that you could change without spending money. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you, I don't know, you might feel better about yourself and, and your life. I do have a final question. Again. I think it might be a toughie though. It is this. 
given your proximity that you've had to the brain, and I know that you are a fan of the deep breathing and of meditation. And I have spoken to people who have meditated and say that they have had outer body experiences mm -hmm. and they have felt that their consciousness is not just within them, it is without them. Do you think there's life after death? Um, I like Keanu Reeves' answer when somebody asked him that. Uh, he said, in, in, the, in, the, uh, in, in the hearts and the memories of your loved ones, that's mm -hmm. where life is after death. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't have any idea about um, those sort of concepts. Mm. But having an outer body experience is not the same as life after death. Mm -hmm. We have dissociative states. We have uh, split personalities. You can take ketamine in a club and float above yourself. And during those awake brain surgeries, sometimes when we tickle that temporal lobe, mm -hmm. uh, patients will report, I saw myself floating above the operating room. I think outer body experiences, dissolution of ego, those sort of concepts are different than does something continue on sure. after, uh, uh, after all those 90 billion brain cells die? Um, I would say life after death is, uh, uh, is it's up to your own. That, that's a freedom of thought that is for the individual. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes it helps my cancer patients. Mm -hmm. And I, I used to, my original book I want to write was No Atheists in the Cancer Center. They might be atheists before or after, but when you come to that crisis that you have grown a cancer um, within you, you weren't infected by it, mm. you grew it. Um, they have this thing called existential crisis. And in New York, some centers are looking at using psychedelics to deal with the anxiety, the existential crisis of having a cancer. So I'm deep in those fields, and uh, life after death is, uh, I think, for you to decide for yourself. And depending on where you're, where you're at in your life, it might be a valuable concept for you. Mm. In that way, it's real. If we had another hour, we would be talking about the uh, neural pathways, the psilocybin, uh, mushrooms, everything. We would be doing all sorts. But I know that we don't have that time. But thank you so much for joining me on the show. The pleasure's mine. I'm always happy to be included. I never take it for granted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Rahul Jandial. I know I did. I think I enjoyed the fact that he doesn't speak in absolutes. It's so tempting when you sit in front of an expert, whoever they are, whatever their field is, to want them almost to tell you the black and white, to say, do this, don't do that, and then everything will be okay. And it's so pleasing to sit in front of an expert who will sort of... who who really embraces the fact that it's a little bit of this, it's a little bit of that, it's a bit more fluid and it's not as rigid. That's something that I, as I was walking home after this conversation, I thought actually, I did want him to say some absolutes, but I was really pleased in, in a way that he didn't. Anyway, let me know what you think. Email me on thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. Join the Facebook group. The link to join is in the show notes. Start a conversation about this particular episode, whether there's anything that stood out particularly. Or you can always DM me on uh, social media where I'm at Emma Guns on Twitter and Instagram. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. And um, I will always get back to you if you do message me. Thank you so much for listening. I will see you on the next one. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.